Hey guys, it's producer Dan here. Just wanted to record a quick note to apologize because I messed up in this recording of the episode of Super Pulp Science. I forgot to make sure Justin's microphone was on. So you will be able to hear Justin, but he will sound echoey and it's my fault. And I apologize. I should have been monitoring the audio as we were recording. I forgot my headphones, so I, we weren't doing that. And I apologize again. Anyway, on with the show. This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by the National Gallery. Sonnets about leather face, elegies for a dead iPhone, and other wild words from the Poet Laureate of Hell. Go to thenationalgallery.ca. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. Uh, we're back with my long-suffering co-host, who is at full power at long last. Uh, he beat up Lyndon recently at boxing. Shout out to Lyndon. Uh, and our special guest, Dr. Jonathan Ball, returning to the podcast today to hold us accountable for many of our ill behaviors. Many of your sins. <laughs> In horror, you always deserve to die, Greg. That's my one of the core things I teach when I teach horror. When you teach horror? Even if it's horror? a bizarre idea, like sometimes, like in Lawnmower Man by Stephen King, he doesn't cut his lawn, so he deserves to die. You always deserve it. You always deserve to die is the lesson of horror. Oh, this has gone in a really dark place, but I'm going to go with it. Um, what have you, what is the most banal thing you've ever seen in a horror story that is the root cause of a person needing to die that lawnmower lawnmower man yeah lawnmower man? He, he doesn't cut his grass and therefore he deserves to die but i need to reverse engineer this let me think of another horror movie do they always deserve it? i guess so that's sort of the trope of horror is you set up the rules like if you have sex out of wedlock in those early 80s ones you're done for yeah the, the logic act. of the story they deserve it not necessarily yeah. in like like you're not saying the story <laughs> yeah okay so this wasn't you um, ruining whatever alibi you had is if I turn up <laughs> in a dumpster somewhere, right? I want you to keep this recording, Dan, because this is proof of something bad happens. Um, do you deserve, do you think you ever deserve to be the uh, uh, victim of a horror movie, Justin? As long as this is a really cool monster design. <laughs> That's the best done? way to go. Huh. Okay, so um, do you guys remember, I think it was Creep Show. Yeah, yeah. With the bugs come out of his mouth? Or? No, I don't know like, the bug one. No, none of that. Thanks for the ride, lady. That, thanks for the ride, lady. That, <laughs> thanks for the ride, lady. That, that was a great show, child, right? And then I realized it was a comedy later. Yeah, later it's supposed to be funny. But as a kid, it also messed me up. But remember the raft. So, dear listener, oh, if you yeah. don't know Creep Show, <laughs> there's this raft in the middle of a lake, and some uh, ne'er do well young people go swimming, and they swim out to the raft, and then this blob creature. It kind of looks like just an oil stain on the lake, the kind of thing you'd normally see on a lake with lots of boats on it, comes over underneath the raft and then slowly dissolves them all and eats them one by one. They can't leave the raft, even though the shore is only a short swim away. What did they do to deserve that? I didn't remember it well enough. Uh, I did. In the logic of the story. At the end. They ignored the sun. That's right. At the end, they pan back to where their car is parked, and there's a big sign that says, no swimming. (laughs) There you go. Stephen King loves to punch. Right. So it's all, is that an extended metaphor? Like nature is to blame, right? Like nature just grew over it. As a kid, I always thought like the sludge was some kind of um, like nuclear waste or some kind. It looks like pollution. I think it's got stuff floating in it so it's it seemed like a you know humanity made this thing 
it wasn't like a naturally occurring really monster. Hmm. what's your favorite um horror like mon- like monster design tremors tremors yeah that was yeah. the graboids yeah closely like xenomorph and the queen ale like yeah that like, yeah really yeah amazing. um tremors immediately pops into my head uh tremors is yeah although later tremors where they're like running around on those two little legs they yeah Sure. Tremors Dan is shaking his head in disdain right now from, from inside the booth. Same with, well, I was going to bring that up one more, man, too. Mm-hmm. Like, two sequels to that film. Yes. But the original, I'm talking about the short story. In the short story, there's no VR, nothing. Oh. It's just um, this guy's, like, too lazy to cut his lawn. He's, like, his, you know, he, he the kid he normally gets to cut the lawn and, like, moved on. So he, he opens a phone book and he sees, like, guy will cut your lawn. He hires them. So in the suburbs, like, so now he's broken all the laws of the suburbs right like he, he's not he, caring for he's his not lawn caring lawn. his lawn he's not a good he's not he's not picking up the beer he spilled on the ground like he's just you know this lazy schmuck but he's somehow in the suburbs where he doesn't belong you know where like you, you know the good capitalist americans end up in the suburbs not this lazy schlub who won't even cut his grass and anyway who comes to cut his lawn is a, is like a satyr from like <laughs> like the modern version of the satyr from a greek myth he's working for pan i clearly have he's not gonna, read this short it's a story great Weird and how did comedy. that become it, it, a VR? Kings, if you actually look at the Longer Man movie, King's name is not on it because he had <laughs> he had them remove his name from it since it was so far, far removed, removed from like what he wrote. Although it's a good movie by itself, yeah, I think. Yeah, I haven't seen it in decades, but I remember really liking the first one. Yeah, the basic premise was like a a, a person with like developmental yeah, delay mentally stunted goes into a, a VR. VR kind of turns him into a super guy and then every phone on earth rings at the same time to let you know that the ai has taken over yeah oh, spoiler yeah. alert sorry guys <laughs> <laughs> i think it's by this point it's you know beyond spoilers okay so i guess I don't this talk episode... about game of thrones i haven't finished it okay but you can talk about the lawnmower man from 1982 or whatever okay, <laughs> you know um it looks like this episode is going to be about how horror gets made and the constituent parts of horror you teach a horror class yeah i haven't taught it recently but i i often teach a horror class or i just shoehorn it into like the classes i'm supposed to be teaching so dear listener <laughs> if you are wanting to write a, a horror story here are are three helpful hints from Dr. Jonathan Ball, who did not know I was going to ask him this question. Three helpful hints right about writing a horror story? I, yeah. I'd say the core thing you have to know when you're writing a horror story is uh, the thing you have to know when you're writing any story, which is uh, what is the medium you're working in and what does it lend itself well to? So like, this is the thing I kind of was interested Wait to talk to you no, guys I'm, about. Wait a minute. No, I'm scraping this one right off the board because that's okay, too academic really specific to horror. That's too academic. So a specific to horror, the you dear need listener a... is sitting there poised with their pen on their notebook, <laughs> writing down a good bit of advice. I mean, okay. everyone should know the medium. You I've know your audience. I've got a good one. You go ahead. You, you go first, okay. and I'll come it's in. Because it's been something that's been bugging me in this recent horror is especially with um, if there is a monster or an entity, there needs to be rules for that monster or entity. And I'm thinking specifically of like the Annabelle movies. There's no rules to the monster. Like in Tremors, it's it's in the ground. It can hear you, but it can't see you. So it's trapped by a bedrock. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's rules, and once you understand those rules, you can navigate the story. And if I could interject for the listener, a good reason to establish those rules is because anticipation creates horror. So when you set up the rules that are recognizable and then the character is about to break them it creates tension in the story yeah. right you're like oh no don't go on that sandy ground, ground young child yeah <laughs> you fool 
only you knew what I knew, you could live through this. Especially in like a lot of these, um, yeah, like the Annabelle and ghost stories, it starts off like the ghost can like move things around the room and then like Annabelle can suddenly possess people and by the end of the movie she's shaking the entire house and she seems like omnipotent. You have, there are no rules. It's just like... Right. Why didn't she shake the house at the beginning? Yeah, exactly. Right. At first, like, she was only moving, she was doing, like, creepy little things, and by the end, she's blowing out windows. And right. No, I haven't seen those. Yeah, so I'm going to assume that she's feeding off of the emotional energy of the family. Clever. I don't think it's... No. Oh. Well, this is related to So I'm to writing a new ghost say, story though. where she feeds off the emotional energy of the family. From the imagination comes the story of a man. Joe! Come on, boy, let's go. Grass is waiting for you. With the mind of a child. It's like the core 100% thing you have to, have to, have to do in writing horror is like, what is the monster? So one, there has to be a monster or a monstrous object, like a cursed object or some sort of actual monster. Well, the person themselves is like, you know, a regular person or whatever. can be the monster, but they're... Sure, Yeah. but like they have to be a monster in yeah. the sense that like monsters have three qualities. <laughs> monsters are abnormal, they're transgressive, and they are symbolic somehow of some sort of fate that is worse than death all right let's dig down into that they're abnormal so they just they change they're if you're a big if you're a joseph campbell fan then they operate outside of the rules of the regular world or they just are abnormal in terms of relative to what is considered normal in the story so like the extreme version of it is like it's you know a, a god whereas most people are not gods. or like with our raft example the water is safe to swim in the blobby thing makes it unsafe to swim in. Yeah, it's the, it's, water, is it's, the water is clean. The blobby thing is unclean. Like it's a stain. So like uh, so abnormality can be very. It could be a big part of the monster, or it could be like a small part of it. Like so, a really common trope. Some a lot of these become like tropey cliches. Like so, a really common trope in old horror was like the monster would be like, you know, like the serial killer would be scarred or something. Yeah, have a deformity. Somehow. Yeah. Um, so that would like, but like in more modern, like less cliched versions of it would be things like, um, just just anything where there's a normality and the thing is not normal. So it often like, will have like a vampire. Here's an example, like Hannibal Lecter is yeah. so polite and he can fit in anywhere. That makes him abnormal. Well, his psychology right? is abnormal is the yeah. simplest way to look at yeah. him. But there's other things, yeah. He's yeah. even just hyper-intelligent yeah. relative to like a normal person. Yeah. He can cook really well. His pants are pressed. Yeah, he is eloquent yeah. speaker. All the things that in any one Vampires capacity, sleep in the day. Yeah. Uh, other people sleep at night. Like, okay, it, so it, hold on. Let's jump back very normal. That's like no abnormality in space. Transgressive? What do you mean by Transgressive that? Transgressive is like there are categories or boundaries or rules and the thing breaks those boundaries or rules oh, I see. so the simplest yeah, okay. way is like it murders people a serial killer kills people you're not allowed to kill people right like that's the simplest Texas Chainsaw Massacre they eat them they don't just kill them they yes, eat them right. you know, it's, it's not just yeah. killing them is like the least of, again, of the worst and then like yeah. the third thing again is like a bit of more abstract thing but it's like the monster is always symbolic somehow of like some sort of fate or damnation uh, like I like to just say a fate worse than death but um, because it's just easy to understand that but like more technically be like some sort of damnation in a on a symbolic level so it's like kill like so the, weirdly like in horror in, in a non-horror story <clears throat> the thing killing you is probably the worst thing that's gonna happen right. like if it's an action movie like the guy's trying not to die but that's all he's trying to do is like not die in right. a horror story it's like death would be great uh, relative to what the monster will do right so if we use texas chainsaw massacre the original by the way as an yeah. example this is my the favorite horror movie. i like this idea of the transgression because when you find out that they kill them that's actually not the scariest part mm -hmm. and you find out that they eat them that's not the scariest part the scariest part is that they keep you 
Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, they keep they you. They face. don't kill you right away. And ergo, like, you'd rather just get hit in the head with a hammer than be kept in that basement for maybe years while they eat bits of you. Right? Yeah, and even the eating you is to some degree transgressive in yeah. the sense that, like, people don't want to be eaten. People like to think of themselves as different. The thing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, like, people want to think of themselves as not animals. Right. But, in Texas, but the, the Leatherface doesn't see you as different from a cow. Right. And so that's a transgressive... I mean, he's right. Right. Uh, on a certain level, people yeah. are animals. But, like... We have this conceptual uh, difference we try to maintain, which is, you know... And the town's not keeping you safe from him. Yeah. He's keeping him safe from everyone else who might come visit. Yeah, so... But but just to go back to what Justin is saying, like, one of the really important things with the monster is, like, you have to be really clear on what is the monster, like, and what are its qualities, and where that kind of gets into, like, the rules of it, like, how does it work? Even if you don't relay all that information, you need to, like, understand it and be very clear on it. And I think you need to be clear as a writer also, like, what is my monster? What does it mean? Because the, the horrible thing about horror monsters is that they are, they are representative of the truth within that story. So there's some truth that... Uh, the world of that story is trying to deny. The and monster you, is the symbol of that truth, and it cannot be stopped. And if you're worried that you're going to miss it, you can do what they did in Aliens, the sequel to Alien, which is put both things, both of those elements in exposition. So, like, yeah. in the board, like the board accountant reads through the litany of how the monster is different yeah, and how it yeah. behaves, right? It has yeah. concentrated acid for blood. Like, yeah. we're supposed to believe this, right? <laughs> but lays out the plot of the first movie yeah, so that yeah. you're all caught up. And then later, she says uh, to Burke, right? You know, I don't know which is worse, right? You are those creatures. You don't see the creatures trying to fuck us over for a percentage, <laughs> right? Like, the idea of yeah. the corporation is the real the villain. Company the company becomes the villain, not the monster. Yeah. <laughs> So exposition from an asshole is a good example of how you can use it. Yeah, the, yeah, these are great. So you're talking about techniques about how to get techniques the how to get rules that across. That's right. Yeah, yeah. A really simple one. Yeah. A really simple one that we see a lot in horror is some sort of early speech that praises the monster, like in some respect. So you're talking about the, in aliens where that happens. They just go through the litany of things. Well, the in first other, alien is great because when uh, the doctor begins praising the monster and laying out all the ways in which it's great, not because, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, yeah, it hurt the crewman, but biologically it's so impressive. And then you find out halfway through that film, spoiler alert, this time ahead of time. What movie is this? That was your only chance. Uh, that that character is in fact an android and also oh, a monster yeah. who tries to yeah, kill yeah. them all. He's impressed at how unhuman it is just like he is unhuman well and in something being inhuman that's a that's a really horror story trope or undead like those are like transgressive right there's dead and there's alive something that's undead transgresses those boundaries like you know sometimes they'll just literally in a plot progression like it comes out of hell it comes from the outside right of the house it comes into your house you know like there's a boundary and it transgresses the boundary it's you know the strangers are supposed to stay out of your house not in come into your house Sometimes it's, but like being really clear on like what is your monster, what are its ways in which it is a monster, what does it represent? Like those are, I think that's the fundamental thing that you need to be clear on as a writer. And then the rules of the monster come along with that. So those like three say, stages hit us with those three again. I mean, to sum up. The nutshell of it is like it's abnormal. So abnormal. whatever is normal in the story, it, this thing is not normal. Okay. And then it's transgressive. Uh, it's transgressive. So there's some sort of boundary that it is crossing that it right. shouldn't be crossed. So, so in the way theory, this is societal like, boundaries. 
things, like whatever the social norms are. It's a thing that should not be, and it does things it should not do. Right. And it symbol it represents a fate worse than death. Right. It's the simplest way to express like what a monster is. I've done a lot of horror work, and I've never thought about it in that strata. Never boil it down that way. Um, I tend to think of horror as what is. uh, You make a character who is likable, or that you would like to be. And then imagine the worst things that could happen to them as sure. a result of the parts that you like about them. How do you strip those things away? And can you change them as a result? Can you change that character's central concept by altering or well, putting yeah, at risk the things they like? That's the plot progression, right? Like, so you have some monster that represents, like, here's this is the other thing with the horror monsters, like, as abnormal and transgressive and you know horrible as it is, it is the truth. Uh, this is what the world is. The world has vampires in it, and so usually what you'll get is a character like you're talking about, who spends the fir- or a series of characters who spend the first half of the story not being able to accept the reality of yeah, the monster, denying that it's real, yeah, yeah, even though it's been presented, even yeah. though it's presented to the reader, they know, or like you know they should know. You, you see that trope all the time. Like, why are these people like if not thinking? Oh, it's a vampire it's like have they never seen a vampire movie well if it's a movie that was made sort of pre or post 90s then they're all following the hero's journey where you're supposed to have this rejection of whatever the abnormality is but conceptually in horror of course like I mean, these things are by definition outside of normality, outside of, they're doing things they shouldn't do, that shouldn't be possible to do, they are things that shouldn't even exist, so it's hard to just accept that they are real, and so at a certain point, like you're you're saying with the character, you're thinking like the character focus of it, from the character's point of view, it and this is like maybe the other technique to be thinking about from the character's point of view you have to really figure out like what is the thing that they could not accept again to accept the monster's existence is in some ways worse than death so then it go ahead example of this like what we're talking about right now I think is the newer Chainsaw Massacre that came out with um, Jessica Biel oh yeah beginning of the movie they pick up a girl who's who's gone through something we're so old that you think that's the newer one sorry we're so old you think that's the newer one yeah there's like been like four since then I think. yeah yeah none of them yeah good, though. no um but they pick up this girl on the road who's covered in blood and almost comatose has been through something traumatic and you have no idea what's happened yeah and then by the end of the movie jessica biel is in that exact same situation that's right like acting exactly the same yeah she but flips around over it yeah yeah uh, what yeah. i remember the most about the jessica biel one is that she is at a certain point makes a decision that is not made in those movies, which is to return and fight and get revenge of her own. She ends up turning it on, chops the guy's arm, like, spoiler alert. Well, this is our spoiler That's podcast. That's a trope in horror, too, that right. the victim becomes a monster. But it's only a recent, I think, a recent trope. It used to be that people showed up for, you know, like if you look at the early Suspiria, right? Yeah. Like people show up to see it happen to other people and then Suspiria was one of these ones that was considered in the uh, watershed Mm -hmm. moment in the horror genres where the main character doesn't take it anymore and goes and does something about it right sort of tries to fight back a little bit and a female character at that usually you had the final girl who just right triangle no time travel movie like it already yeah <laughs> um, I'm gonna get right into spoilers. It's like a. But I haven't I've seen never it. Heard of it's so can't we spoil it for them, it's Justin? Like <laughs> Don't spoil so it for Greg. Like, oh no! <laughs> Fuck your ears, Greg. Oh, okay. It's a great time travel movie. Huh? Um, woman is on a boat. Um, she gets kind of lost at sea. There's a 
murderer on the boat. Turns out it's a time loop, and basically the early, she goes through several iterations of it, and every time she gets a little darker, a little like more evil, and by the end, you find out all the people on the boats are different versions of her, and oh, killing hmm. herself off trying to like escape the madness and oh, the monster wow. is her at the end that's interesting well, well, okay. it's always been her it is a big trope in slasher films for the final girl to become effectively a monster like take the monster's yeah. weapon and kill the monster with it uh, and what I like the most about the new Halloween yeah. Right? Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, oh, I'm not, you know. Yeah, we should be afraid because if he catches us out, he'll get us. The camera's actually following Michael around the house like it would have victim. I have different games. I even have one that could help make you smarter. Well, here's my controversial take on horror genre. The monster is the moral center of a horror story. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. With that. <laughs> Whether yeah. you like it or not, because yeah. the monster represents the truth of that world. Yeah. And the most heroic and, you know, quote unquote, best thing you could do is just accept the truth of reality. And in and whether it be a book or a movie or a video game, the characters who first accept most quickly are the quickest to accept that the rules are different now survive because they were actually like that all along it's yeah. just that nobody would acknowledge it and, and like although monsters of oh, course can be, represent horrible things and you know be reprehensible monsters are always obviously often morally reprehensible but like in this in the story's world like they're often the moral center in a certain weird way like the the right thing to do is accept that this is what the world is and yeah. to play by those rules and if you do that then you are now like so much of the horror of the monster comes from how it is it is tearing away your your vision of reality and to accept uh instead this alternate vision one is the key to survival uh but two is um you know the key, now it's not horrible anymore isn't it also isn't there also a thing going on in the horror genre where it's like what you were talking about um the transgression is that if you could accept yourself that dying is not that bad compared to suffering well i think you like, would rather be you it's like you get placed in this position where would you rather be an early victim that got surprised just like the audience got surprised, but now they're dead and they're not suffering. Or would you rather be a later victim that spends... Been through all of that. Yeah, been through all of that and then dies. I Which think, of the two would you rather be? I think the weird lesson is you should, in, in that scenario, like you should accept that, um, you should accept suffering. I think is the weird lesson of the horror oh, genre. And it, when you do that, you, it is then no longer horrible to you. Although, like, ob, you know, from a more objective point of view, it might be a, like a horrible situation. You get into like weird scenarios. Like I always go back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is my favorite horror film, uh, because at the start of that film, um, one of the characters who's just drunk in the graveyard says, "You know, there are things around here that uh, people don't talk about." He's like, "They laugh at an old man, yeah. uh, you know, but there are some who laugh and know better." And in a weird sort of way, like the that like sums up like the lesson of the film. Like there's this idea. Later in the film, you get this slaughterhouse is oh, wait, closed down. Do you think that is referring, that line, do you think that line is as meta as I want it to be? Like, there are some who laugh and know better. Yeah. Like, if you have ever sat at a screening of a horror film in a live <laughs> audience, something bad happens and then everybody laughs, right? Sure. As a release, Yeah. right? And there are some who laugh and know better. Right, the people who aren't like, the people who aren't squeamish or having to laugh in a horror movie, are the ones that I worry about in yeah. in my company. Right, they're like, well, 
Like, I know it's not real, and it makes me feel uncomfortable, and I have to let this out somehow, yeah. so I'm either going to scream or laugh or, like, squirm in my seat. But people who just sit, and they're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> right? I wonder about Right? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think, like, that, that idea of, like, you laugh, but you also know that it's not funny. <laughs> like, like it's that weird doubleness of it, I think, which is interesting. You laugh because it's not funny. But the lesson of that film, if, if you go look further into the film, like, you get, so the slaughterhouse has been shut down. They all used to work, the Cannibal family used to work at the slaughterhouse. They're, like, the best people at the slaughterhouse, but then it shut down. Now they're just out of the slaughterhouse doing all the things they used to do in the slaughterhouse. But instead of, like, doing it to cows, they're doing it to people. So the lesson of that film, though, is, like, <laughs> is that the world is a slaughterhouse. Uh, the... It's, it's false to believe that there is a one location where slaughter is contained and where it happens. That it's okay if it happens there, but not other places. Yeah, the fact is, be. like, the, the, what you need to accept in, you know, the age of Saturn, which is kind of how the film, like, lays it out right. in the radio stuff at the start, what you have to accept in that film is, um, you know, and it's not necessarily going to help you in, in various ways, but like the sort of lesson the film is like to accept that the world is a slaughterhouse. This is like and with slaughter, H.P. Lovecraft, right? The idea of the creeping dread. Like yeah, once the characters the rule. accept that the rule is they're, they are powerless and that there are terrible forces in the world, and if as long as they remain ignorant, they can be happy. Yeah. But as soon as they have knowledge, then they knowledge equates to yeah. suffering in Lovecraft stories. But you right. can survive. In yeah, Lovecraft, you, you kind of are doomed no matter what. It's a bit more hopeless, but like there is like. Lovecraft like likes to put like madness and knowledge together, right. right? You can go mad or you can like win your face the knowledge or you can, you know, be ignorant and happy. Either way you're kind of doomed, but with, you know, you can survive longer with the knowledge though maybe you don't want to. Well, and the idea know. in Lovecraft is that um it's eternal, right? So you yeah. might escape and then think about how like that was a bad thing that happened to me. Live your entire life and then die and that horror is waiting for you then mm -hmm. because it isn't going to go away ever. Catacombs, the one about, uh, do you know the one I'm talking about? The a film crew goes into the catacombs under Paris and oh, it's like sent into hell. As above, so below. As, sorry. As, as above, above so, so below. Above, oh, I haven't so seen that. Below. Fantastic. Yeah, you can't hear Dan, but he is waving his hands. I, I and watched, sorry, I'm going to jump in for a second. Yeah. Give me a mic. Last October, I watched 31 horror movies in 31 days, and that was one of the ones I'd seen, and it was just, I'm, I'm kind of claustrophobia. is just a fear of mine anyway. So that one... Yeah, it just creeped okay, me out. Go into that, go into that feeling. Like your whole body we, shook. We, we right need, there. we need more mics. Um, and it's, it's also one of those like the more they understand about the the hell they're in, and the more they lean into it, like the better things. Like get not, when they're burdened with knowledge, it gets worse, but it also gets better. Like they stop trying to escape at one. Right. Yes. Right. Start yes. To figure it out. Yeah. Exactly. And it just, but it was just terrifying. That's your only locus of control in a horror story. Just like in the wider world, like your only way to have any influence. Even just the, even if the only influence is like your mindset and how you're going to react to it, like you have to accept fully what is happening. Right. Like you know, for her to, she has to accept that. Like in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original one, she wakes up 
she's had her hat she's like in this like throne uh, i've got a bunch of, i'm thinking of checking master a lot because i've i've got a whole series i, I just have this book coming out this fall and it's got all these sonnets about texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> you wrote odes to i wrote texas like oh it's basically you know anyway one of them is is about this throne that she sits on so all the poems are like about um the objects in texas chainsaw massacre that the cannibal family has created because right. if you look at the film like they've created all these artistic objects so right. they're the artists of this film this is the cannibal family they've created art objects many of them have no utility uh, they're just there to be art objects like a, really crazy with that wasn't there a second mm -hmm. third one where it's like the whole mountain is like dioramas with like bodies i want to say the second one i forget second exactly one? i know the second one we're uh, thinking of the hills have eyes no no no, no he's he's chainsaw massacre yeah but yeah. i forget which one the first one is the best one his mind is like a clean hungry sponge you have your stem your limbic system and your cortex right i used to teach psychology so your limbic system kicks in you have a conditioned emotional response right and those are trained responses so um the the most um specific example that you can give is the idea of hands up right before anyone had heard the idea of hands up the special air service the british uh basically special forces teams would use it when they were fighting or breaching they would breach a room with terrorists or ne'er-do-wells and they would scream hands up they'd throw in the flash bomb they'd breach the room they'd say hands up this is before it was popular before anyone had heard it before it was in cop shows before it was anywhere the first person to put their hands up is who they'd shoot first because that person understood the danger, knew there was no way to win, learned it all in a second, and surrendered. That person is probably the leader and the person that is the most dangerous, and they should take out first. That's fascinating. Right? It's become this other thing now. Yeah. Uh, right? It becomes a way to show that you're unarmed. And That's you're not right. Hurt somebody. Yeah, but huh. before anyone knew. So a conditioned emotional response, right? Um, changes over time or adapts over time. So you can change a conditioned emotional response. So it's like how they do live fire exercises with soldiers, right? First you shoot blanks and the soldier knows there's nothing really there. I'm just getting used to the sound. But at first the sound and the light and the noise and the smoke, that's unsettling. Once you get used to that, then they start doing live fire episodes. So you're crawling through the mud. Hmm. That's right. <laughs> and, and the only thing you're now listening for is you're not distracted by the sound, the flashes, the, the sm you're listening for the sound of those bullets because they make different noises when they're close or when they're far away. And once they get used to that, then they know when to stand up and when not to stand up in live fire. Right. Right. So this is like, so when we, ex when you compare that to a horror movie now, right, when you're talking about this, if we take 10,000 years of human evolution, right, the last infinitesimal bit we've been living in cities watching horror movies, right? <laughs> scared of something in the woods anymore. That's right. You don't have that. So there is a part of your, of your brain that is reactionary, that does need that practice that we don't get. See, right, as a sedentary life. I've, I experience, I like the experience of watching a horror movie or reading a horror book or, you know, we're kind of focusing on movies, but it's about the feeling that you get when you watch it. So the same, same reason I watch um, an action movie to feel adrenaline or feel like, you know, high energy. I watch a sad movie to feel sad or a drama to feel right. sad. A horror movie makes me feel scared and that's something I don't usually feel. Right. So it's just about an escape and about experiencing emotions that you don't usually experience so yeah, I, I have I'm this cold about it like i think it's about I, i'm not interested in the emotional aspect of like watching a movie or feeling like i'm like interested in horror because to me it's like this is how you learn um 
how to accept the world's horror. <laughs> oh, <I see. laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like they're training you to like accept, you know, the truth of the universe. <laughs> Except not enough of them. If that was true, not enough of them are uh, cold and indifferent to you the way the That's universe really is. That's my complaint about horror. Based in realism in that. That's right. It's often a, a paranormal or, yeah. or uh, you know, magical creature. But that's the metaphor. That's just a metaphor, right? So... Yeah, my yeah, my uh, unpopular uh, <laughs> take on horror is that horror and romance movies occupy the same kind of place mm. in society in that because people don't do anything really with their lives, they don't take any real risks. <laughs> and I mean like That's real risks at all. Yeah. They the risk of a that are going on in the meat cute of a romance movie is as unlikely something they would be willing to try or do or a situation they'd be willing to be in, as, right, there's a murderer in the attic with a knife, right? People just need that thrill of the thing they imagine is out there, but they themselves could never do, right? They don't take the risks. And so this is why romance movies are super popular. And romance movies and horror movies are both in the, in the constellation of filmmaking, really inexpensive to make, and you can make a ton of money from them. Because people don't need stars in them. They need the setup. If the setup is strong, you don't need stars in a romance movie or in a horror movie. You just need the premise. People respond to the premise. Lately. more, but... Lately. Yeah. That's why I like horror also. I think, like, I'm really interested in experimental, like, artworks. And I think horror is one of the most interesting genres. Because since the audience will accept uh, no star, I mean, they, you know, they'll like it, but they don't need a star um you got your budget is more flexible you can have a smaller budget you can take more risks you know formally speaking in horror than and the audience will accept extreme material so you can take content risks like there's all sorts of ways you can risk more in, in, right. in horror stories well there's that horror uh, really great horror movie uh problematic at best from a cultural appropriation standpoint but the movie bone <laughs> bone tomahawk i've seen that oh. I right in, no so kurt russell is a big star Right, and he is the like keystone of that film, and there's mm. a lot of other stars in it. Um, who's the guy from Lost? That guy's in it too. Yeah. Uh, he's not as big as he used to be. Anyway, the point is, a lot of names you would recognize, but you know Kurt Russell is going to make it to the end because he's the star of the film, right? Either the big star dies in the first act or makes it all the way to the end. But it's like what we're talking about. Bone Tomahawk is one of those films where the character, because he has to survive to the end, because he's the big star, has to suffer the most of them all. Yeah. I feel like he right? went from the set of The Hateful Eight to Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. He did that like the same breath. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he's got the same mustache and everything. Sweet stash. Yeah. I don't think that that idea of the star dying in the first five minutes of the movie didn't exist until Scream. Psycho. Well, Psycho, well, 45 Psycho, minutes Psycho did into it, it. What was the shark movie they did that with? Uh, Deep Blue Sea, Samuel, <laughs> Samuel Jackson. We are gonna live. <laughs> that was a great movie. No, you're right though. Psycho did it first. Psycho really that broke the that mold. Yeah. You, you you took 45 minutes to in the star. That was you know keep in mind Perkins was not you know really a star at that time, and Janet Lee was the star. She you invest a whole plot. You know it's like you're following her, you're following her, and then she's dead. And not not even the camera knows what to do now. Like it just floats yeah, around it drips the room. off for a while yeah. in that scene. Yeah. It looks at the money, which is like, what's good is this money now? It has no plot significance anymore. And Perkins, when he comes in, just throws it in the river. Doesn't even know it's there. Right. Oh, that's dog. that's the great part about that movie is that, and I'm just kind of I try to imagine being in the audience when that film first came out because it starts off like a typical kind of 
film noir, like murder mystery. Oh, they, they've, they've stolen the money. They're going to run off together and all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden, boom, it just changes in a second. And it's a completely different film. And he, so, he sets up all these, these red herrings, too. Like, if you actually watch it and just ignore the fact that... You're, you now know, you know, Hawkins. Everyone knows how it ends, yeah. But, like, if you ignore that, like, again, from the original audience's point of view, like, you can see Hitchcock is setting up all these different red herrings. Like, here's a cop that's following her. Maybe he's going to be the psycho. You know, maybe she's the psycho. You know, maybe, you know, this other person's the psycho. I don't even know if the word psycho is that popular at the time. I don't think so, but I'm not sure. It's, what's interesting is, isn't that based on the same book that... Robert was Block, about, yeah. About Ed Gein? Yeah. Gein? Gein? Well, it was inspired by Gein. But so was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, I mean, in they say... in. in in a vague sense, so it, true. But, but it is these these two really classic horror films are um, you know, based on real life, right? Is that the scariest kind of horror movie for you? No, to me, it's, it's cosmic horror is the scariest. Okay, cosmic horror. Is like, well, well yeah. give us an example. Of like the sun will explode and engulf us all, no matter what we do. Or like the Lovecraftian, like you know, the gods are evil. Like to me, that's oh, like the okay. most interesting story. Cabin in the Woods. I love that. Yeah, I wanted to. Like how Psycho, if you didn't, if you'd never seen Psycho and you started watching it, like how it kind of switches gears. I love when horror movies do that. And if you're, if you don't know what you're getting into, yeah, Cabin in the Woods does that in a light way. Um, Dust Till Dawn is a great. Yeah, I was going to bring up Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, there's two different directors. So it's Tarantino for the first forty minutes, and then it's Rodriguez. Well, and Tarantino is doing film noir at the beginning, and then Rodriguez is doing like slasher. Yeah, it's like a gory vampire movie. Yeah. It's hard to make that work, but like that, those formal shifts are just fascinating to me when when they do work. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think Chance of Massacre, the original, does like some interesting things along those lines, but it doesn't really, it doesn't fully do it. But like, there's great moments where um, you're just sitting there with the monster for a while, like which is the, like the normal pattern of horror is like you don't see the monster, you don't see the monster, or you only see it through you kind of like. You're with the character, and then the monster comes, yeah. and then you, the character dies. You jump to another character, you know, and you don't like just sit there with the monster usually. But Chainsaw, the original Chainsaw, you sit with the monster for a little bit, where he he's killed like the third person. Then he Leatherface runs around the house like worried, like what's going on? Where where are these people coming from? He looks at the window. He's like can't see anybody out there. He's like sits down. He's like nervously like fretting, and then in his head you later realize. He's decided he has to go out and look for them, and so the next time you see him, he's outside. He's, he's quite distraught. He's really distraught, like yeah. because from his point of view, uh, and I think this is like the really someone invading his house. Yeah. Someone's invading his house. You know, where are they coming from? Like from his point of view, like there's these people outside that are outside that are coming in. Like they're the monsters in a certain sense. You know, these uncontrollable intruders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, sure, he can kill them and everything, but he's not like in danger. I but. Oh, that was a. You know what I loved about the movie? When he pukes, when the Anaconda pukes the guy up and he just wings. <laughs> it's so stupid. But really, they're just invading that poor snake's yeah. house the entire movie. They're bugging it, yeah. poking at it, and yeah. finally it starts And they deserve it. You realize, Dr. Angelo, that my intelligence has surpassed yours. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm going to let Dan off the hook. He's <laughs> no, taking, don't let me off the hook. He's taking this pretty badly, but. I don't have. You know why? It's because I don't. My, every time I don't. I forget my headphones. I can't monitor in real time. So this is a perfect storm. A good horror movie should have a few things that happen without the character's <laughs> knowledge. So I set up the microphones today trying to learn how to fish here. I wanted to learn some things. I tried to do it right. So Dan didn't have to check them when he got here. But he didn't have his headphones also. So these two things together meant that 
Justin's microphone has been <laughs> off for most of the podcast. Justin's so going to sound echoey. Your subtle way of telling me you don't want me on the podcast yeah. anymore. Um, our long-suffering co-host is <laughs> suffering. suffering. Next more. time, I just won't have a mic set up at all. <laughs> and then there won't be a chair for the me. The door will be locked. And then the door will be locked. It's like ex- ex- all the stuff outside. outside. Yeah, all your stuff outside. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. But, but, um, but I was just to say quickly, like the, the transgression thing with the jaws. So one is transgressive because it's an it's you know humans it's an apex predator of the shark now right when humans are supposed want to think of themselves as the apex predator it's pretty it's you know it's eating humans so that predation on the humans is a transgressive act but then when you move into the fate worse than death idea like with the damnation the symbolic vision the reason it, that's a monster and is so horrible um because things can be abnormal and transgressive without being monsters right uh, you need that extra thing where you know the fact that it is predating humans means that uh humans have lost their position that they thought they held as an apex predator humans are actually at the victim of this universe which they don't want to think they are so that that um that is worse than dying. And there's all those great scenes where everyone's just having a great time in the water, not realizing that death awaits them. Yeah. So worse than being able to, worse than being eaten by the shark and being murdered is, is that the your fact that you views. could be eaten by a shark. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. That's the weird philosophy right. of but horror. But also on the same level, the idea of the, like, one of the victims of the shark is a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the idea of a child dying, like you have the mother, of that child who who's slaps the sheriff or whatever. Yeah. They, and that whole idea of, uh, that's a fate worse than death to me as a, as a father, for sure. The idea of my child dying before me is, is a horrifying idea. You're right. So there's that as well. But the thing is, I, I mean, it's just a, a scary shark. It's yeah. terrifying. And I don't know, everybody who saw that film as a it, child yeah. was terrified. I was terrified to go in a swimming pool. Entire generation of yeah. people First scared of the water now. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, anybody who is interested in genre has heard this. So, uh, dear listener, I forgive me. But the notion, of course, is that the shark was terrible. It looked awful on camera. And it so they, then they, it did look well, awful on camera. They edited out that you could, if you see any of the removed footage, like the stuff they edited oh, okay. out, it's awful. It's so obviously a mechanical shark. And so Spielberg made this decision to only show these little glimpses. They got the studio to pay for this giant mechanical shark. And then the studio is upset because it's not really in the film, but they made a, a choice that it will be scarier if you don't see it most of the time. It's true. And instead the music, and the point of view, the POV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, still, that part where it jumps up on the boat and, and eats up, uh, what's his face? That, that yeah, was, yeah. Uh, looks yeah. Great. That was scary. And, and it was like bloody and gory and terrifying. That whole scene, I totally bought that it was a real shark. Yeah. So is that Good why there is like the, the trend, the um, like the paradigm of you only see glimpses of the monster and then at the end there's a full reveal, but it's usually very like short and it's right when the monster gets killed. So is that because it's not functional enough to be around the whole movie? So I think there's a few forces at play there. Number one, uh, suspense it's is good scarier, storytelling, right? Yeah. It's good storytelling. You don't reveal the monster till the third act. I think right. is the rule. And number mm-hmm. and the big one though, if if you're making a studio picture, right, it's cheaper. Yeah. Right, because you don't need sustained visual effects for the entire film. That's where a lot of uh, studio films have really faltered. Is they overuse as these effects have become cheaper and cheaper. Right. They just yeah. use them more, and it's like, well, yeah. now they're not special and interesting. Remember when Jurassic Park came out and it was like. Like this, these dinosaurs look real, and it was like yeah. that was a selling point of the film. Yeah. And it, you know, he had these. But even so, the most terrifying part of that film is like the little water glass going boom, right. boom, right? No, like that was the actual 
suspense generating moment that people remember yeah that's and like true. how the monster looks now it's now you know you got a hundred stupid little things well and what was the film uh guillermo del toro's uh crimson peak hmm. right one of the criticisms from the horror sector was that all the scary parts with the ghosts they showed in the trailer and guillermo's uh kind of point of view or mr del toro i guess yeah, yeah, we're I not pals yeah we're not pals uh his uh point of view was that it's a it's a story that has ghosts in it it's not a ghost story yeah, wasn't he so thought that's not it was kind to... of misrepresented that's or... right yeah he he didn't didn't like it. Marketed, it was marketed as a horror film but and it was not yeah, yeah it's a gothic yeah. story right if you go back to your original question like techniques for writing horror like yeah. justin brings up a good point like you know you want to hold the monster in check a little bit and like just not be with the monster all the time because on a certain level um you go back to the old lovecraft you know idea like what's fundamentally the most scary is you know the unknown um and so the more you know about the monster the less scary it is like that's just a basic rule okay so i'll see that's why we don't want to know hannibal lecter's backstory i'll see you at that point but i'll raise you a no country for old men Right. See that but you don't know. Movie. But okay. right. if you've read that book, okay, I'm just going to get into the literature of it. So if you're writing that story, the story is, I mean, the I film is almost the perfect adaptation the of it. But the, the idea is that halfway through, it does kind of what Psycho does. Halfway through, the main character, spoiler, is dead. And who are we supposed to follow now? And then you realize, oh, it's actually the story of this killer who has more work to do. Well, it's right. not halfway through, but, but yeah. But, but, but so you're comparing the book and the movie. So the great genius move the book the movie made that is a misstep in the book as much as I like Cormac McCarthy this is a mistake Cormac McCarthy made you're coming for Mr. McCarthy so at the end of that book so the whole time Chigurh is trying to get this you know money back and all this stuff but you don't exactly know why right Right. Mm -hmm. in in the movie you never really find out like well what's the reason he wants it back other than like maybe he just wants it or something you never get a motivation other than just the motivationlessness of he's coming right this is what he does. That but in the book, movie was great for that too. You right. have no idea the backstory. He just but in coming. the book, he, he gives you a scene where Sugar goes to like this mob boss. Is like, here, I got your money and stuff back for you. The guy's like, well, what? Who the hell are you? He's like, I'm your new partner. So this is his like reason he did it, and it completely like takes Sugar down a peg because he has a motivation that's mm. a human motivation. It's a political way he's going to move up in the world. Like See, it I just makes him less terrible. More when he was just he's less of like a monster. A force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a force. That's I'll give you that. I'm going to reread that book again. I've read it twice. But it's a great book, but there's mind, one misstep. It's like two pages. In my in my mind, that scene, and maybe it's because I am projecting what I want from that character. Uh, the door closes and we don't see what happens. No, you, in my, you have in my a conversation. Mind, Sugar, yeah, I know, but Sugar takes him takes him out. No, nope. like he's not his partner. He's, you know. But that's and, the, that's the problem, right? Like, it's that's not what it is. <laughs> right. It's like, it, 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 if please you just join delete, us on the next episode if you just of Super Pop Science. Scene from please the book, would have be, read No would, Country for Old Men. To it would join be our a discussion. brilliant book. It's a, it's a great book, but in it the, would be brilliant if he just took that scene out, which is what the movie does. Yeah, in right. the movie, doesn't he just kill Woody Harrelson at the end? Like, he gets yeah, they the money have, back. Yeah, they cut the, the scene. Oh, did they? Yeah, they just... Like that, that scene that I'm oh. talking about is not in the movie. It's the great thing they did he not put in the movie. He does meet Harrelson and kills and him. And just kills him because he just kills Then he meets the woman, flips people. the coin, leaves, and you know she's dead. Right? right? Meets no, that I kid. thought he left her alive. No. No, no, no. This yeah, coin yeah. has been traveling a long time yeah, to yeah, find yeah. you, right? Trying to get inside my head, Joe. You can't hide anything from me, Dr. Angel. we got to wrap things up. No. We're getting close to the... This is a great discussion. 
But my, as a I wish I could have been part of it. <laughs> You're in it. You're in it. I'll fix it. I'll fix it as best I can. Um, my um, question to you guys, one of the things I always thought about horror films, uh, going back to like when I was younger and working at a video store, and I used to watch a lot of movies when I worked at a video store, um, is that it's there? I love it. Uh, it's probably my favorite genre of film is a horror film, but it's so easy to screw it up. There are so many bad horror movies out there. Why is that? I think people don't know what horror movies, like what a horror story is. Like, I, I think it always comes back to like people don't understand what a horror story is. They think like the monster, um, you think you got to show the monster all the time. They think, it, you know, that's not and they, I and they forget about, it. I think there's a lot of problems. There's a huge monster in the room of horror movies and it's that people think you can make money at it. You can, you just said you can. You can, make money, you can make money at it, right? But here's the thing. You make money when the story is good. You don't make money coming in saying, we're gonna make a huge amount of money creating a horror film. If you use It Follows as an example, or the Blair Witch Project, they're touted as, look how much, much money we can make with a horror film. Paranormal but they activity. made money yeah. incidentally. The film existed. It already had been crafted as a great horror object. And then audiences embraced it. If you go as a working model, we can make a cheap horror movie to make money, you can make money, but then your motivation is not so to make a good story. You yeah. mean like hack products yeah. or what's the problem? It's, yeah, it's like um, we can, if we can fill theaters for the first weekend, then we'll probably make money on it, right? That's, That's kind right. of the idea. So yeah. they make like The Nun, uh, which is, you know... A, a part spin. of that extended universe. Well, it, but, <laughs> it, but and the, Conjuring, the Conjuring films are excellent. Yeah. Conjuring yeah. 2 was also one of those films I watched in my, my marathon. It was good. And it was very good. And The Nun is scary in that one. You don't really know a lot about it, but that... But then they went and explained everything about her and... Yeah. The more you know about the monster, the less scary it is. Like, Same just with a, uh, Lights Out. It was a great short film. Watch the short film, Lights Out. It is three minutes and it's absolutely terrifying. They made an entire movie about that and they explain... Oh, every yeah. aspect of the monster and it just kills it right that's i think the biggest problem with horror movies like you one showing the monster too much and two explaining the monster at all like slash too much people who make movies are like filmophiles like they people who just kind of they aren't as into movies they usually don't go into horror like horror movies are, oh, are for people who are i don't know if that's true like casual movie watchers the common theme seems to be they don't really like horror. It's what I've noticed. Just oh, normal I, oh you mean the audiences, like that audiences yeah. themselves normal in general. Audiences, horror, normal audiences, horror, not so much. <laughs> but people who are really into movies and might want to make movies are into horror it's movies. It's like if there's so a that's spaceship what they in it, make. I'll watch it. Yes. Right? If there's a monster in it, I'll But a casual yeah. moviegoer doesn't want to see that one. Right. I don't know that that's true. I think, I think that's true, but I think like the mistake that a studio makes, from my point of view, is like they know that. They know that there's a casual moviegoer and there's a horror moviegoer, but they want the casual moviegoer to go to a horror movie, so they water down the horror movie. Well, I'm just getting at like the, the hardcore people who really love movies. They love horror, so that's the movie they want to make. So the when teach, they get a chance yeah. to make a movie, right. they yeah. want to make a horror movie. The teacher in me sees that Dan has something he really wants yeah. to say. There's also a way to break oh. through. No, I, well, I agree with that, but I think there are people out there who love movies who don't necessarily like horror movies. Mm -hmm. There are people who just are squeamish. They don't like the gore. They don't like the... The, the terror, they don't like being scared. So there's, that's just the, the choice they make to not watch it. But yeah, I agree that, that people, when, you, you, when a horror movie comes from a place of love, like we want to make this awesome movie. One of my favorite horror movies of all time is The Evil Dead. Because yeah. it was made, Great. if you ever read the story about the making of that film, they went through hell to get that movie made. And it's, it's amazing. It's, you know, by today's standards, the effects are not good, but just the idea about how they made that movie 
makes me love it even more. You know what I mean? And yeah. I like it more than the sequels. And, yeah. and uh, even the the remake of Evil Dead, I felt was well, if Sam Raimi had had a proper budget back in the late seventies, early eighties, that's the movie he would have made. So I didn't mind that one, right? I don't know where I was going with that. My favorite is Evil Dead. I think Dead what too. you're going with that is that the best horror movies are not sequels. The best horror uh, movies, with are, the exception of Evil Dead too, <laughs> <laughs> right? They, but it's a different kind of movie, right? It is it's totally different. Yeah. It's basically a remake. It is, and it's it's a more of a horror comedy, whereas yeah. the first one was supposed to be straight up horror. So there's that as well. I mean, we could talk about man. We just it's like horror podcast. I just talk about this every week. Every week. As, uh, I love, yeah. Every week horror podcast. <laughs> if you go back to superhero movies, like, remember how they used to do, they started to do superhero movies the right way? More We're on less. a different podcast now. But I'm just saying, like, are we, are we cutting this podcast? No. Well, well, well if you, I remember, you remember over. when they're making all these, the axes do you remember coming. when I Am Legend came out and, like, there was, like, a trend of those sorts of things where, like, I, my, the, the, the film that exemplified it for me was Get Smart. If you've ever seen the original Get Smart series, it's about, like, a bumbling guy who's not a really good spy. But then, like, you know, he accidentally succeeds. Well, the remake of Get Smart, like the movie version with Steve Carell, he's a good spy. And, like, that's how they used to make movies. They would buy a property. They would use that title. That's to bring in all the fans of the original property. They don't make the movie for those fans. They make the movie for people who've never seen it, don't know what it is. So they just assume, like, the fans are going to come in. So they don't make the movie for those people. They make the movie for people who they to try to pull people into the franchise. So that's why they, how they used to treat like that's why they used to make really bad superhero movies and stuff because they would just like assume that somebody who liked it would come in. So they then they don't make the movie for the fans. Yeah. Now they started to flip it around and they tried to like serve people who actually like like the property, <laughs> you know, like so they'll actually like try to like make a movie for like Avengers fans or whatever, you know. And then they'll assume that like it being like decent. And those people liking it will carry the movie forward. That's like the trend more so than it used to be. I think with horror, like it's still in some ways stuck in the old model uh, in terms of studio horror, where um, they just are like they're taking a horror story concept or maybe even buying a horror story property, and they're trying to make a movie for people who don't really like horror movies. Yeah, like, and also they're trying to sell it to teenagers. They're trying to widen it up. Teenagers are the ones who go to movies a lot, and whenever I go see a horror movie in the theater, it's full of teenagers, and it, therefore it's a PG-14 or whatever. Right. It's not an R-rated horror film, which are, to me, the scariest, because then you can do whatever you want. Right. Right? Yeah. Heredity. But they, they don't make as much money. What's that? Rated R does not make money no, in theaters. No, I know that. Yeah. I know, because you're, you're, you're cutting out half your audience, but... Um, I'm, I'm sure there are some good examples of, of horror films that are PG-13 or whatever that I can't think of, but... Um, I think Tremors is PG-13-14. It's not a very good horror movie, but it's a pretty... You bite your tongue. <laughs> like it's Tremors a great, is a great horror movie. I think Tremors, see, and I think Tremors falls more on this, like, campy sci-fi line than it does. Yeah, but I, horror movie. I would agree with you, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's There's only, like, like it, one scene at night. Everything else, like, the monster is attacking during the day, the entire movie. I love movie. it. No, yeah. don't get me wrong. Yeah. I am a huge Tremors fan. Don't... I'm not coming for you. What I'm saying is that the things about Tremors that make it a fun movie to watch are not the things that make it a good horror movie. If you want That's to write horror, saying. though, you should literally like, go out and watch a bunch of horror movies and like write down all the things you hate. <laughs> and like, just don't do those things. Yeah. Like, that, it sounds stupid, but like so many people forget that part of the process. Like, uh, you got to watch a bunch place. of horror movies. So we're going to end our conversation talking about The Quiet Place. So one of the things which 
uh, dovetails into what you were saying. Um, the director, whose name you know and I have forgotten. Jim from the office. Jim, Jim from, from the, the office. office. What's his real name? He has a real name. real name. He doesn't have Jim. a real name. That's oh Jim my God. From the it's like Krasinski. Um, he does. Oh, John Krasinski. John Krasinski. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Krasinski made a film, and when they were researching it, he watched, he doesn't watch horror movies. This, I, I listened to an uh, interview with him. He said, like, I don't watch a lot of horror. I didn't know really too much about it, so I watched you know, 15, 20 horror movies, and I wrote down all the times when I was scared and what led up to me being scared. What elements were used to make me feel this emotion? And then I took that list, right, sat on it for a while, and then just went with those beats, those emotional beats, into the script of The Quiet Place and said, how do we set up these emotional feelings in me? That's right. He rewrote that. That was his procedure to rewrite the script? That's right. To, yeah, because they Cause bought, bought a script. A script yeah. They bought a script, right? So rewriting the script so that it scared him. Hmm. And I think for the dear listener who's saying like, what is the point of all this rambling about horror? If you're trying to write a good horror story and it doesn't unsettle you while you're writing it, maybe you're missing something. That's why Stephen King's best book is Pet Cemetery, because mm. um, although my favorite is The Dark Half, but he, he almost stopped writing that book because it was so disturbing to him. Mm -hmm. I love The Dark Half novel. Yeah, it's well, my favorite. Yeah, it's the um, movie is not very good. No, unfortunately. Although it's Romero, you'd think it'd be better. Yeah, but yeah. This has been Super Pulp Science, where we tried to cut out Justin from the podcast. Um, <laughs> and we failed. But failed. I'm going to take this podcast over from Justin. Join the fight and make comics.